Hello, welcome to God Day. This is Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And uh, praise God for today. This is the day the Lord has made. And I want to talk to you about a very special day, uh, the day of the rapture. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about when it's going to happen. You know, sometimes people focus on that so much that we actually miss the main thing, which is it is going to happen. Let's just say it could happen at any time. Whatever your own idea or theory might be, let's put that aside for right now and just focus on the event itself, the rapture of the church. Jesus promised that he would come suddenly and he will come for us, his bride, and he will take us to be with him forever. Praise God. This is such an awesome event. And the Bible actually talks about the fact that this should be the focus of our hope for the future. Not so much what happens in our earthly life, but our blessed hope, our wonderful expectation is this joyful event when Jesus comes for us to take us to be with him uh, in heaven. And so we're just going to talk about that. I want to take you through what I consider the three main scriptures about this to to describe what will happen. The first one is from the lips of Jesus himself in John 14. And this is at the time of the Last Supper. He's about to die. He's about to go away. He's about to return to heaven. Um, And he is giving comfort to his disciples. And, and really, it's the words of the bridegroom to his bride. These are the exact kind of words that a, a Jewish bridegroom would say to his bride after making the covenant so that they are betrothed to each other in, in love. And then he will say, I've got to go away now to my father's house where I'm going to prepare the house where we will live together forever. And when my father tells me it's time, and then I will come for you, and, uh, and we will then be together forever. I'm going to fetch you. I'm going to take you back to my father's house. That's where we'll get married. There'll be a wedding ceremony, and then we will be together forever. It's a joyful occasion. And um, the bride, of course, had to just stay ready. Um, she'd get her bride dress ready, uh, you know, her wedding dress ready. And uh, she obviously had to stay faithful to him during that time of absence. And uh, her hopes were fixed on that wonderful day uh, when her bridegroom would come for her and take her to be with her. That was the focus of her hopes. She knew she would no doubt stay busy doing her duties and so on. But every day she would be thinking, maybe today my bridegroom will come. And she kept that hope at the forefront of our mind. And I believe that's important that we understand the rapture so that we are that faithful bride. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5. We are betrothed to Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians. And, and, and we are 11, I believe. And we are called to prepare ourselves right now. In fact, all the good works we are doing are actually uh, the basis of our bridal gown, our wedding dress, the, the glory that we will be clothed in. 
when we meet Jesus and we go through his judgment seat and he'll reward us with the glory that comes from what we have done for him. And so we are now in the preparation time for the rapture and we're to live as if Jesus could come every day. And it's sad to say that for most Christians in various churches, the raptures are not even discussed. Um, and, and so, but yet this is meant to be our blessed hope. This is the thing that, that keeps our head above all the waters of what's going on around us that we are about to step into a glorious eternity. When Jesus returns for us, we'll be, our bodies will be changed and we will have the glory of God forever and ever. And this is what we should look forward to. Uh, and it says we are to look for his coming. We're to watch for his coming. We're to wait for his coming. So let's focus for the next few minutes on these wonderful scriptures. The first one in John 14 is, is Jesus' promise to us as the bride. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Put, trust my words. In my Father's house, now that's heaven. Remember, we pray our Father in heaven. The Father's house is, is heaven. In my Father's house, it's actually the new Jerusalem. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. So God has a, a place where we will dwell with him forever. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That's the bridegroom preparing a place for his bride. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so notice, this is a coming of Christ for his church. He's coming for us, all right? This, I believe, this is different for when him coming to the earth to take over the earth and to rule or reign on the earth. This is a coming of Christ specifically for believers, for his bride. And it's a coming not to stay on the earth, but it's a coming to actually take his bride to heaven with him. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you will be also. And, and hopefully you can uh, discern the divine romance in these words because the whole purpose of it is that where I am, there you will be also. In other words, we will be together forever from then on. We will live forever in the presence of Jesus, uh, which will be awesome and joyful beyond our imagination. And that is God's ultimate purpose for us, to save us, yes, to forgive us of our sins, but why? so that we might be with him forever, so that we might live in his glory and his glory might fill us for all eternity. And so for, our, for us personally, this will be the fulfillment of God's purpose for our lives. We will enter into our eternal state at the rapture and it could happen at any time. So we should always be looking for Jesus to return. Now, the next scripture I want to go to, the second one, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is Paul's famous teaching on the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse, starting in verse 13. 
He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That means the Christians who have died in the Lord. And it, and it would seem um, that they, these Christians were very the, concerned about their, their love, beloved ones who had now died, that somehow they would miss out on, on the rapture. So he says, so that you will not grieve as the rest who do not have hope. And so when our loved ones die, we, we do grieve, but we don't grieve as those who do have no hope because if, if, a, if somebody dies in the Lord, it's not the end of the story. We're going to meet them again. They're, they're in our future, praise God. We, we have hope of a future reunion, praise God. And so that takes the, the, the nastiness out of the grief. And then it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe that Jesus conquered death. Even so, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, they have physically died, but it's not the end because Jesus has died and rose again. He's overcome the grave. Praise God. So God is going to resurrect them. I love it when Jesus said, I have the keys of hell and death. In other words, the risen Jesus claimed he's got the keys of Hades and death. You see, when some, these are the two great enemies of the human race. When we are doomed to die because of sin, but the Hades then claims the soul of man and death claims the body. But Jesus says, I've got the keys over Hades and death. Hallelujah. And so the moment you accepted Christ, he used those keys and you were born again. And now Hades has no power over your spirit. When you die, you're going to go up to heaven. Praise God, your spirit's going to go to heaven. And Jesus prophesied, you know, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail over it. In other words, we will not go through the gates of Hades. We will not go down when we die. We'll go up to heaven. Hallelujah. And one day at the rapture, you know, he'll use the key of death and he will... Those who've died in Christ will be resurrected. And so that last enemy, death, will be destroyed as far as we're concerned. And even the, us in our mortal bodies, where death has a grip, as it were, on our bodies, we're doomed to die, he'll turn that key and our bodies will be changed into immortal bodies. Praise God. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so will God bring with him those who've fallen asleep in Jesus. So that tells us that the spirits of those who've died in Jesus are in heaven right now, because when Jesus returns from heaven, he's going to bring them with him. Of course, their bodies are on earth, but them, they, the real them, their spirits are in heaven. So Jesus is going to bring their spirits with him to reunite them with their bodies and, and then they'll be resurrected and enter their eternal state. So he says, don't worry about those who've died in Christ. God's, they're in heaven with Christ right now. One day they're going to return at the rapture and they're going to receive their resurrection bodies. Verse 15, for this we say by the word of the Lord, this, this is straight from Christ, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. And, and what this means is that the church is divided into two groups. 
There's the church that's alive right now on earth, and then there's also the church that has already died. And both of these are going to receive a glorious transformation at this moment of the rapture. And he says he wants to give us assurance that those of us who are alive, and Paul was hoping that he would, he would be alive at the time of the rapture, um, he says they will not go before those who've fallen asleep. In fact, as he goes on, he's going to explain that actually the dead in Christ will rise first and then God is going to uh, transform and rapture the living. So there's uh, two groups and God's going to deal with them in that definite order. And so he now explains what's going to happen. And he's basically saying those who've died in Christ, they're not going to miss out. They're going to have the same experience. In fact, they're going to be first in, in this action. Verse 16, for the Lord himself, I love that, will descend from heaven with a shout. See, this is the bridegroom. This isn't something the bridegroom can delegate to his best man or to his helper. The bridegroom has to go for his bride and fetch his bride himself. That's part of the divine romance. So the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I believe that's a shout of joy. At last, he's going to be reunited with his bride and they're going to live forever. He'll descend from heaven with a shout, uh, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And so there's a, a trumpet of God. Now, some people mistakenly think that's one of the, the seventh trumpet, but that's a trumpet of an angel. That's blown by an angel. This is a trumpet of God. This is blown by God himself because Jesus Christ is God. He's going to blow that trumpet. And that trumpet blast will call the dead in Christ out of the grave, you see. And um, it's going to, uh, in fact, we're going to see there are two trumpet blasts. And so, first of all, there'll be the trumpet of God. And then it says the dead in Christ will rise first. So at the first sounding of the trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise. God's power will, as it were, resurrect their bodies and their spirits will be reunited with their resurrected bodies. Hallelujah. And they will rise and they will actually then go up and meet the Lord in the air. Praise God. <clears throat> and that's what happens at the first trumpet. Then, he says in verse 17, we who are alive and remain. So those of us, and I believe many of us listening right now, we will still be alive when this happens. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Notice the dead in Christ have already risen there with the Lord in the air. And then soon after, we will join them. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so in that way, the whole church, the dead and the alive, will we'll actually be gathered together to meet the Lord in the air. There's no grandstand on earth that's big enough, so it's got to happen up probably a few miles up in the air. Praise God, this is a great meeting before we all return to heaven. And, and so I want you to notice that this word caught up, that's where we get the word rapture from. Uh, it's the word hopatso. Some people say, oh, the rapture's not in the Bible. The word rapture's not in the Bible. It's not strictly true. The word caught up is harpazo, 
which means to seize. It's something that will happen very quickly, that, that, that as it were, God's power will take, take hold of you and you will be lifted up, praise God. And uh, in the Latin, uh, it's the word rapto. And, and so from the rap, Latin translation is where we get the word rapture. So it is here, right here in this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And it says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Now, when we read in Corinthians, we'll see that what happens first is, um, you see, just like the dead in Christ, their bodies will be resurrected and then they will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. For us who are alive, our bodies will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We'll receive an immortal body and then we will be caught up, we'll be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. And so it says, so shall we always be with the Lord. Praise God. We will always be with the Lord. And that, that's the same language. Do you remember in John 14, that Jesus said, I'm coming to take you to myself, that where I am, you will be. We'll be together forever. And now he's saying, now, so shall we always be with the Lord. This is the fulfillment of the divine romance. Praise God. Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 was actually, and therefore he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. This is meant to be a comfort for us. This gives us hope. Now, I want you to notice 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the two stages. It talks about the dead in Christ rising first, then those who are alive and one happens after the other, which indicates there will be two separate trumpet blasts. The first trumpet blast will raise the dead in Christ. The second trumpet blast will rapture the, those who are alive and remain in Christ. And um, 1 Thessalonians 4 focuses on the dead in Christ primarily. And, and Emmet says they're not gonna miss out, they're actually gonna go first. Well, now we're gonna go to the other famous rapture passage, which is 1 Corinthians 15, which focuses on those who are alive in Christ. And so let's go there. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Now he's talking about those who are alive. We will not all sleep. There will be those of us who will be alive at the rapture but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Praise God, we're gonna be, our, our bodies are gonna be changed and it's gonna happen in a split second, in the moment. That's the word atomos, which means an atomic second. In the shortest possible period of time you can imagine, it's gonna happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's not gonna be a gradual change where you feel this heat and your body gradually changing. It'll. God's power is such that it will happen in a split second, in a nanosecond, in the twinkling of an eye. And it will happen at the last trumpet, you see. Remember we saw from Thessalonians that the first trumpet raised the dead. Then there's a second, it's a second event, a separate event, when, the, when the, those who are alive will be raptured. And that will happen at the second trumpet, or, or here it says the last trumpet. So the first trumpet is for the dead in Christ, the second or the last trumpet 
of the church age will be the rapture of those who are living. He says, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and actually that's the first trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And then it says, at the last trumpet, we will be changed. Hallelujah, we'll be changed. Uh, and um, then he describes what this change is. And, and we will receive that change, he says, at the last trumpet. Um, he says, for this perishable, and he's talking about this perishable, corruptible body. That's the body we have right now. Must put on the imperishable or the incorruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality. So we have a corruptible, perishable, mortal body. And in a split second, we will receive an imperishable, incorruptible, immortal body, which means a body that cannot die. Hallelujah. It cannot, you know, it isn't just death doomed, it, it's, it's impervious to death. It's totally transformed based on what Jesus has done. So the rapture is the coming of Christ for the church in which he instantly catches up all living believers to meet him in the air and translates them into immortal bodies without experiencing death. So first we'll be changed and then, that's what Corinthians tells us, then Thessalonians tells us we'll be raptured uh, uh, and we will be, meet the Lord in the air. And then John 14 tells us then, then the Lord is going to take us back to heaven where we will be with him forever in our everlasting mansion in the New Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Let's just see how Paul continues in 1 Corinthians in describing this transformation that will happen. The glory of God, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that's, I believe, in our spirit, through the Holy Spirit, will then suddenly be released into our bodies. And such is that power that it's able to overcome death and it's able to transform our bodies into an immortal body. It's not hard for God to do that. It's just the timing. And when God says, okay, it's time to release that power, we will be changed in a moment. Hallelujah. Because Jesus has already defeated death. He's already got the key. He just has to turn the key and this is when he'll do it. So verse 53 says, for this corruptible body must put on incorruption and this mortal body must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Jesus has won the victory over death. Death does not have the last word, and it, death will be swallowed up in victory. I love that. It's like there will be this overwhelming victory that will just swallow up death. That terrible enemy that we thought was all-powerful is just swallowed up in the victory of Christ. Hallelujah. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? See, those, those are the two enemies of mankind, that because of sin we were under the power of death and Hades. Death over our bodies, Hades over our soul, but now we can look them in the face and say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Uh, and, and again, it says that the sting of death is sin. It's, it's sin that causes death to have power, but Jesus has took our sin 
And if we accept Jesus, what he's done for us concerning our sin, then death's power over us and authority over us has been broken. Praise God. Um, and then he says, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? And he f says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Even in your life right now, he gives you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies, Romans 8, 11. And so there is all, even now, the resurrection life of Jesus is available for us that we can, to quicken our mortal bodies uh, and we can have a measure of victory even now over sickness, over, over the, you know, the, the power of death. But in that day, the victory will be fully manifested. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for winning the victory over death and giving it to us. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. I like to confess that. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through my Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 58, he applies this truth to our life. How, how should we respond to this wonderful hope? He says, therefore, in other words, in view of this rapture, in view of what's going to happen at the rapture and this glorious future we have before us, he says, my beloved brethren, he says, you are loved by God, that he would do that for you. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says, this, this should motivate you. Some people think the, the, the rapture is this escapism. No, this should stir you up to good works. This should st stir you up to living your life for the Lord right now because the day is coming when you're going to be raptured and you're going to meet the Lord. Praise God. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Overflowing in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And what he means here is that when you are raptured, you will then stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and he will give you rewards for all that you have done for him. It's not like you, you deserve them, but he graciously chooses to reward you, you know, for everything that you do for him in love and in faithfulness, in obedience. And so he says, your, your work in the Lord is not in vain. It, it, you will actually receive a glorious reward as a result of that. So be motivated by that. Be motivated by that fact. Philippians 3, we'll just finish with this, says, Our citizenship in, is in heaven, Philippians 3.20, from which also we eagerly await for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, or the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We're going to receive a body just like Jesus' resurrected human body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So the mighty power of God that is able to overcome every limitation will transform our bodies and make them fit for heaven, you see, because sin can't enter heaven. Our natural bodies could not enter heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, it says. So we need resurrection bodies that make us fit for heaven and for the glory 
of heaven because there can be no sin. There can be no imperfection in heaven. We need this resurrected body to, to be complete as people and to be able to be in heaven. Praise God. God's going to make us perfect, renew our youth. Well, you have a glorious future, so why don't you give your life to the Lord right now and do what you can for Him. Love Him, give yourself to Him in prayer and using your gifts. Bless you.